Hey, everybody, before we jump into the Peristyle podcast, I wanted to tell you about four hymns. Did you know 66% of men start losing their hair by the age of 35? Is that hairline slowly starting to move backwards? Any bald spots yet? When you start to notice hair loss, it's too late. 4 is a one-stop shop for hair loss, plus skin care and sexual wellness for men. You get medical-grade solutions, real doctors offering well-known generic equivalents to name brand prescriptions to help you keep your hair. These are not herbal supplements. They are prescription solutions backed by science, and they're shipped directly to your door. So order now. My listeners get a trial month of hymns for just $5 today, right now, while supplies last. See the website for details. This would cost hundreds if you went to the doctor or pharmacy. Go to forhims.com slash USC. That's F-O-R-H-I-M-S dot com slash USC. Forhims.com slash USC. Hey, Trojan fans. It's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget... You can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Monday. Going to talk some USC Trojan football with Dan Reber, beat writer and columnist for us here at uscfootball.com. We want to talk about some workouts, answer your questions about the team as we get closer and closer to fall camp and, of course, the start of the 2018 football season. If you have any questions or comments for the show, you can email us, podcast at uscfootball.com. That's the email address. Or you can call or text, so different ways to get a hold of us, 424 254-9141 is the number. You can text that number or leave us a voicemail, and we would be happy to talk about whatever is on your mind regarding USC football. And we want to get what's on Dan Weber's mind, so we brought him on. What is up, Dan? How you doing, man? Doing good. Uh, It seems like we're getting there closer and closer to the season. Uh, Just, I don't know. There's something happens about the end of June when you start. I, I think maybe some of it's the football magazines are out, you know, and it's, you know, like a month to Pac-12 media day and they've had enough uh, summer workouts. So you, you get in a sense of, of what this is going to look like and all that. But it does seem like uh, we're not that far away. It's getting closer and closer. Each week passes and you see a little bit more of what's going on in the field, and we want to talk about that, what we saw this past week from the player-run practices. They call them the PRPs. But before we do that, wanted to thank our sponsor, Trader Joe's. I uh, was at this weekend for my wife's extended birthday celebration that began back in March. Uh, we had a bunch of friends go up to Big Bear, and uh, we rent a little cabin on the lake and hung out and had some fun. Uh, it was pretty cool, but you got to stock up before you go, Dan. So we, we hit Trader Joe's. Uh, lots of stuff that we got to grill and uh, and eat and snack on and stuff. So it's our it's our go to spot. And we had our little USC Trader Joe's bags, which everyone asked about when we were there. So pretty cool, pretty cool weekend up there. And uh, we had, and Trader Joe's helped out. I'll say this: uh, your life is one long Trader Joe's commercial. <laughs> I I don't know what it, like I mean. You like going? We just go all the time. 
And it's funny, I talk, so our <laughs> friends Bruce and Stu uh, from the, the Audible podcast, uh, they talk about Trader Joe's and stuff as well. So it's funny that, uh, I, well, I kind of introduced, introduced those guys, but it's great. I mean, it's fun to have like a sponsor that you use all the time. So it's, you know, um, it's cool because we, we love doing it. Uh, I love picking up the little six packs of specialty beers and stuff over there at Trader Joe's and, and uh, bottles of wine that aren't, that aren't breaking the bank. Uh, I love that stuff. Yeah, the, the wines are amazing. Yeah, I uh, don't know where they uh, where they get them, but uh, yeah, and the prices and all that. Yeah, exactly. All right, well, let's jump in and talk about summer workouts. So before we get into all of the uh, the questions that people have wrote in, a bunch of questions from last week, a um, couple of player run practices this past week. I was there on Tuesday. Um, I was not there on Friday cause I left up and, and to go to big bear. So I wanted to get your thoughts on that. But on Tuesday, we got to see, uh, JT Daniels and Matt Fink. Uh, Jack Sears was not throwing out there and, uh, more impressive work for JT Daniels. So maybe if you want to give your thoughts on that and then what was going on on Friday, how many quarterbacks were out there? We can talk about that too. Yeah, uh, I thought uh, I liked the way it went with the two quarterbacks, and they they moved on quickly, and they both got got a lot of plays. And I think uh, I think I see quarterbacks like you know like Matt, and uh, and then Jack came back on Friday, who didn't maybe have the you know uh, a spring where they were saying, boy, we really you know we got it together, we put it together. This is, but I see guys that look more confident, more comfortable now having, you know, had the week and or month and a half, you know, since spring ball, two months now, I guess. Uh, and they look, uh, and maybe it's the comp- competition with, with JT Daniels, but I thought they looked good with just the two of them, Matt Fink and JT on Tuesday. And then on Friday, I thought Jack Sears came back and, and, and had a really good practice and he looked good. And, uh, he looks bigger, stronger. I mean, uh, you see these guys kind of growing up, and um, I thought they all all had a good practice uh, on Friday. So, again, you know, these used to be called uh, throwing sessions, and the focus was on the quarterback throwing the ball. And that's still, even if, you know, they're PRPs now and everybody's out there. It used to be you didn't see the linemen out there much at all. Uh, and now they're, you know, everybody's out there. But, but it's still a throwing section for the great, you know, the great part. I mean, it's just, you, you'll, you, they'll run some running plays and, and all of that. But, uh, but what we get to see is the quarterbacks and the, uh, and the receivers, and we get to see the defense run to the ball, things like that. But again, without, without the pads on, uh, the essential thing you're seeing is, is quarterbacks. And, and I would say, Based on the arrival of JT Daniels, it does change your attitude about uh, about this team. Uh, I I was thinking, I guess the first football magazine is out, the you know, Phil Steele magazine, with all kinds of so much information. It's just hard to even imagine how much uh, he can jam into that magazine. But the one thing he couldn't really put in there is the impact of JT Daniels. I think Phil has USC ranked. 14th in one ranking and 16th in another ranking, but he has them and he ranks like every player group in the Pac-12, and he has USC's quarterback ranked the 10th out of 12 in the Pac-12. Well, 
and you know it's hard to know what to do after after spring if you're putting out a magazine but if you see what we're seeing now you know that's probably wildly off the mark uh and uh so it's this is a summer uh, and clay helton basically predicted that in in the spring after the spring was over he said this will be the most important summer uh, you know, PRPs that we've had at USC. I think he's absolutely correct. And uh, what we've seen with the quarterbacks, I think they've all uh, they've all risen to the occasion pretty much this summer. You see, um, uh, Matt Fink, for example, and Jack Sears working really hard on the deep ball. And I think, uh, and it's not something necessarily that. JT has to work on. He's just, you know, one of those kids that, that has that ability to throw the ball on target, you know, on time uh, with lots of air underneath it where guys can run under it. It's just, you know, he's just, whether that's, uh, you know, one of those God-given, you know, gifts or something that you, he's worked on, and I'm sure he's obviously worked on it a lot, but uh but you see him working on the right thing. So I think we're pretty encouraged by what we've seen from the three quarterbacks. And uh, as hard as it is to you know, say you're, you really uh, have a good feeling because of a brand-new freshman quarterback, you just have a good feeling because of a brand-new freshman quarterback. It's just that simple. The uh, So we, we've talked a lot about JT Daniels, and, and you know he keep, continues to impress. Uh, you talked about you know Phil St- Phil Steele's preview and not really including him because he wasn't in the spring. Uh, there was some freshmen in the spring that we saw that were impressive, but you know, there's a bunch of new uh, you know guys out there too, like Amon Ross St. Brown. Is any one of the other true freshmen outside of Daniels kind of uh, stood out for you? Either people that were in the spring or or guys that just got here. Well, I'm I'm taken by uh, uh, Talanoa Havanga just because of his attitude and his athletic ability his size i mean i love it that you know here's a kid from we could call it a small town oregon corvallis they got a big big university there but who wants to be the next uh, troy palomalu who came out of a little 10 mile oregon uh you know from high school and uh you know you look at the kid and you think you know that's a uh, that's a really high bar. Uh, that's a big big goal uh, when you want to do that. But uh, I really like uh, what I see. Uh, I like what I see from him. I think uh, Elijah Griffin. We have, have really liked what we've seen of him and his timing and his uh, uh, ability to you know at corner to just uh, run with people and stay in the play and and make a play on the ball. He looks. Uh, he looks uh, like he'll be in the mix. I think he just, you know, and corner is a place where you can do that if you've got, you know, the athletic skills and the toughness and and all of that. Uh, let's see. I mean, Amon Ra is awfully impressive in terms of uh, the, how physically developed he is, obviously, if your dad, you know, was a Mr. Universe and, you know, you've been working with him your whole life. Uh, but to see the, the soft hands that he's got and, and the work ethic. And he was the last guy on the field uh, Friday and uh, does a drill where he's lying on the ground 
and uh, has uh, has somebody throw the ball hard uh, from four different directions, from the, directly to the right, directly to the left, uh, from his feet and from his head, from behind his head. So he's catching the ball with somebody throwing it to him uh, hard from uh, uh, behind his head. And so he's forced to use his hands in all, all different configurations. And, uh, you know, basically nothing. I mean, uh, no bobbles, no misses, no, he, he's really, really got good hands. And uh, again, I just don't always see that in kids that have, have, have built themselves up and developed themselves the way he has to see somebody with those really soft uh, baseball type hands is, uh, is kind of unusual. So you, you, you can't miss him. I mean, he's, uh, he's somebody there. Uh, Marquis step, uh, the tailback at two, 230 pounds out of Indianapolis is, does not look like a freshman. He, uh, those 230 pounds, are really uh, uh, a really solid running back, and like the other guys, he looks like he can really catch the ball. I was impressed with uh, with what I saw with Marquise, and you get a little nervous sometimes about 230 pounders, and are they going to be uh, able to pick their feet up? You know, and are you going to be quick footed enough? And uh, I was uh, I was impressed. He looks like uh, he looks like he belongs. So we're right now looking for the guys who. Do they look like they they belong? Uh, haven't been able to, you know, spend as much time. And, and because of what they're doing, you don't get the chance to look at the defensive guys uh, as much. Or it's going to take a little longer, I think, for us to get a get a fix on the on the defensive guys, those linebackers and all that. Other than they just look like they got a lot of guys who can run and pretty athletic. And we'll see. I think the more they go along, we'll be able to see. Uh, they're still kind of learning the defense. They actually, the defense spends more time doing dummy stuff than the offense does. And, and in terms of alignments and reactions and all of that, and, uh, Cameron Smith, uh, pushing them pretty hard. Uh, Jenny Harris, they've got some good leaders on defense, but I think the younger guys, it takes them a little bit of time to, you know, start picking up on all the, all the things they need to be able to do on defense and, and all the reactions and what have you. But, uh, I think they're, uh, so that'll be the next thing we want to do is try to, you know, focus on the defensive guys, especially the new guys and see what do they look like. Yeah. That's a little bit harder to, uh, to kind of see when we're out there, even from our perch, uh, high atop, uh, Cromwell field. Um, yeah. We had a question about a couple of guys, though, from Tarek. We'll start with that, I guess. Are you noticing Trayvon Sidney and Isaac Taylor Stewart at summer workouts? Um, I remember Tuesday seeing Isaac Taylor Stewart and, you know, doing going through all the DB drills, him along with Elijah Griffin. They both had the dreads, but Isaac Taylor Stewart had the, the more blonde uh, dreads. Yep. But um, what, what were your thoughts on He's those bigger. two guys? He's a little bigger than I. I mean, again, you don't – you get a sense of these guys – you maybe see him at spring game or you see, you know, the video or whatever. And then you see him with everybody else. And he's a little bigger than I, I uh, had thought. I knew he was a, you know, a, a, a big kid, but uh, he's uh, and the, the thing about the secondary right now, there are so many big kids, so many rangy athletes. You could be a big corner. I mean, for example, uh, Iman Marshall for so long, it was kind of the big guy. 
And and that's not the case at all. When you see, you know, Isaiah Palomalo and Bubba, you know, Bolin and um, uh, Marvell Tell, and they're just, you know, one big kid after another. Uh, so that's a secondary where it's hard to stand out in terms of, hey, he's the, he's the tall, rangy one. Well, they got a lot of tall, rangy ones uh, right now. So, uh, so mostly you, you notice uh, early on, you notice just the physical characteristics and how do they move and how do they, you know, size up with, with everybody else. And we'll get, you know, we'll get more chance to, to pick up on the defensive guys. As far as Teron, I think well we we also noticed he's got a new number. I think he's he's wearing number thirteen and uh uh Jack Sears is wearing number ten. I think Teron had been number eighty one. So I yeah. think uh I think uh for uh, a slot receiver maybe and, and all that, that that might be a might be a good uh good number, but uh uh still haven't yeah, where you you get a chance to really say, uh, this is what I'm seeing, you know, with this kid or, or, or that kid, uh, other than the few that we've mentioned. Uh, and, you know, guys like uh, Tyler Bonds and Michael Pittman are the two receivers. And, and Josh Amato Baby would be the third of the uh, returning receivers who, and, and you expect it with uh, Tyler and uh, Michael Pittman. And they, they're basically, uh, they're kind of opposite physically to some extent, but the two guys at USC looks like they're going to be the guys that going to go for that leadership leader, you know, guy. And maybe it'll be kind of one of those ones where USC has a couple of guys you look at and say, he's the lead receiver, which makes it a, a good situation for whoever's that third guy. Cause he's not going to get, he's not going to get double coverage. So uh, that's a good that's a good situation for anybody who wants to to be on that field with the with those uh, the two lead guys because uh, I think there's going to be some real opportunities uh, for that third receiver. So, uh, but so far we we're noticing the uh, the big guys, and we'll see as we go along who who steps up, which is what Joshua Motter Baby has done. He looks like the guy you've kind of been expecting to see. At six two two fifteen, with his uh, legendary forty four inch vertical from the the, the Nike uh, uh, camp uh, a couple of years ago, but uh, he's uh, asserting himself in ways we haven't haven't seen, and in ways that'll probably make T Martin really happy. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think you know you got Tyler Vaughns and you got Michael Pittman. Uh, we actually had a question from. Uh, not for the podcast, but uh, on our Pac-12 email group that I'm on, uh, one of the guys from, I think it was from the, the Oregon site, wanted to know who like the dynamic duos were. And I don't know if you agree, but I was like, well, on offense, it's hard to say. You, you don't have a quarterback to include because you're not really sure yet. So I thought it would be Tyler Vaughns and, and Michael Pittman. And on defense, I said uh, uh, Cameron Smith and Porter Gustin. But who would you say like the dynamic duos are for offense and defense? Yeah, I think you're. I think you're right on the money. I think uh, you can't help but notice uh, when they go out, uh, when they split up, and the defense stays on Brian Kennedy, offense on Howard Jones. But when you, when they split up, it, it, there's no question that you've got Porter Gustin and, and Cameron Smith are, are the guys. And and I think I think I'm trying to think. Phil Steele maybe had 
Ted Porter at like number 11 defensive end. And I think, again, it's just not knowing what's his health going to be and how's he going to, you know, be able to come back. And if you watched him now, you know, you can't even notice or even guess that he's coming off of an injury uh, that pretty much shut him down. So, uh, so that's a really, that's a really good dynamic duo. And most of the, I guess, uh, preseason uh, uh, magazines and and uh, services that cover college football have Porter or have um, uh, Cameron as a, a first team All American, and uh, he that that that's a that's a good way to go for USC with with those two kind of kind of in charge and a and a group of uh, I think really talented and deep younger athletes with them, but. You do really need, I think, that leadership on the field, that practice. I know they were, they must have worked them really hard Friday in the conditioning and the weightlifting. So uh, they were struggling a little bit. It was like 8.15, and they still hadn't gotten up the, uh, up the ramp. And I know, I think Coach Franklin came by. He was heading in and said, where the heck are they? You know, and Cameron says, I'm, I've been yelling at him, Coach. <laughs> and he was like, you know, he's just, kind of mother hen type got his all his uh uh sheets of you know, diagrams of, of stuff they're going to do in practice and all that and uh he's the one that uh if he wants if they're not out there he's the one that's going to be yelling at them so uh so i think he's he's perfect for dynamic duo and those are the two they're going to take to the uh pac-12 media day taking two defensive guys which i think sends a good message um, and yeah, obviously, I think with the uh, with the wide receivers, uh, Michael and, and and Tyler, are the two. And I think it, it's another year where USC will have, as they've had, you know, fairly often. You know, with Mark, uh, Robert Woods and Marquise Lee, and uh, you know, then you know you have a, a Nelson Aguilar comes along, and you've got a couple of guys that can work together year. You know, the classes work out so that they've got. Two guys, uh, uh, and then you had you had Juju and and Deontay work together, and I think you're gonna have that same situation with Tyler and uh, um, and Michael Pittman. I think uh, now what's gonna happen? Running backs, I think you got three. Uh, so I, I, I'll be interested to see how that how that all works out because I, I think people don't understand yet how good Aka Cedric where can be if they really really become that run first team and obviously i think we know that Stephen carr's got all the skills you could you could ever you know want and uh but you wouldn't want to make it just a twosome because you got vivai and uh so if they uh if they go for a dynamic uh you know trio uh you could go that way with uh with usc yeah, and it, you know, it's, it was hard for me to include any of the running backs. It's just it, it's not really set up. This not this team is not set up for like a dynamic duo sort of thing. Maybe by the middle of the year, you it's like JT Daniels and and Tyler Vaughn. Who knows? You know, we're not really sure. But um, it's just there's too many questions right now. I think. Um, yeah, uh, oh, and you hesitate even to say uh, a freshman dynamic duo of JT Daniels and uh, and Amon Ra. Yeah. I mean, it's just like yo. Know, you know, get out of here. Those guys are, you know, they were playing at modern day and yeah, they were great, blah, 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 but that's not college football. 
And normally you would go along with that and say, you're right. It's a big difference. As good as Bosco is, as good as you know, some of those teams are that they play, and they probably play. I would guess that's the best schedule you could play in the country uh, right now. Uh, but still, it's a far, far cry from uh, playing a schedule that, that USC is going to play. And yet you watch them and you think, you know, I think, it's transferable. I, I really do. There are skill sets that are just, you know, more. And, and, you know, a decade ago, that wasn't the case. As good as Matt Leinart was or Reggie Bush, you really didn't think that was going to happen with them as freshmen. And it wasn't going to happen. It wasn't going to happen with, uh, you know, Matt, you know, until he was third year uh, here. And, uh, you know, Reggie kind of eased his way in. Uh, but, uh, there's just something, I think the the world has changed in terms of how freshmen are ready, uh, that, you know, we saw it last year with, uh, Jacob Fromm at Georgia, uh, taking over as a freshman quarterback and going into South Bend and winning that first week of the season uh, at Notre Dame. And then, uh, you know, going through to the end of the season where, uh, you know, Alabama starts last year's freshman quarterback. And then they win the championship with this year's true freshman quarterback in the second half. So things have changed in college football about freshmen. They certainly have. That that could end up being a dynamic duo. We'll have to wait and see. Um, we had a question from Earl in West L.A. He said, six weeks to fall camp. Who is this year's Christian Rector? Hmm. So I don't know if he means someone just kind of came out of nowhere. Or I, I'm not sure what. I think it, I if I had, you know, if you want to stay in kind of in the same general area, I think it could be one of the three second-year defensive linemen, uh, uh, Marlon Tuipulutu, who who back limited him last year, or uh, or Brandon Peely, who looks like he's uh, he may be not quite 340 anymore, but he's still a heck of an athlete, or Jay Tufelli, who again looks like he's he doesn't look like the freshmen last year, they looked like really potentially very good athletes. And Marlon was the one that looked more like the finished product had he not had the back, but it wouldn't surprise me if it's one of those three who, who step up. Although you've also got, you've got a whole handful of linebackers that inside and out, and it's just hard to even start separating them between say a Levi, uh, Levi Jones and, um, uh, freshman, true fresh, or yeah, true freshman. Can I, Maoga, on the outside, who's explosive as heck, and uh, so I think there's, they've got a lot of lot of guys to choose from. I'm not sure which one you know we're going to see, but uh, but I think you're gonna, I think they've got a chance to have some Christian Rector type guys step up. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll see who that ends up being. Uh, a lot of potential names there. Uh, we had one from Don. He said, thank you, Dan Weber, for your competition column. Starters on an underperforming team should not feel comfortable that they are automatic starters the next year. Will Clay Helton really give these underclassmen a chance to compete, or is he all talk? Do you think that these freshmen in red shirts are good enough to compete, and will it be up to the players to bring back that compete attitude. I know many people are tired of hearing Pete Carroll references, 
But that was the last time SC actually played hard on every play against every team. Don, I don't, I don't yeah, think I USC think, did I, that, <laughs> even under Pete Carroll. So <laughs> no one could do that. I, <laughs> no, but uh, I think the idea that, that that's your mindset is, and that's why practice matters so much, because if practice is getting your steps down and getting your formations and, you know, working on your timing and all of that, it's really hard. Uh, let's say they go for two weeks. And then they go to the mock game week, and then they go to game week, and then they, you know, play UNLV. It's really hard to say the weeks three and four, if what you're doing is kind of practicing to practice and practicing to get all your, you know, plays down and all your, you know, alignments and your reaction and your timing. It's hard to beat that guy out ahead of you. And so if you stop competing, I think that was the secret of Pete's teams that, that did get better. I mean, the, one of the, the great things I thought with Pete's teams was they got better from the end of the season to the bowl game. That's what made them so difficult to play in bowl games because they just kept getting better because of the way they practice. I think that's the key for, for Clay and for this team uh, with a lot of young talent and a I'd like to see them have the ability to compete week after week after week so that, that you build in the kind of competitive situations in practice that allow guys to beat people out. And, and you make it clear that you have a chance to beat that guy out ahead of you based on how you practice. And uh, I just think, I think that's been kind of missing um, I think it's been more a, a attempt to just kind of do what they do in the NFL, for example, which is, you know, they, they, in the NFL, they figure out these guys have been playing football for, you know, some of them 10 and plus years after college, they know how to compete and they can get themselves ready. I don't think that's the case in college. I think they got to practice to compete and they've got to practice at levels that, the one constant that when you talk to anybody that played through that era, they will tell you practices were more competitive than games. They weren't longer. I mean, they would practice less time. An hour and 45 minutes was a pretty much the standard practice, uh, uh, less practice time than they do now. But they, they hit enough one-on-one, -on -one, first team against first team, uh, and the drills, uh, the ball stripping drills and things like that were uh, competitive individually. And they had guys leading those drills. And I, I, a lot of that does come down to play. They had Troy Palomalu and Matt Grudegood and Lofa Tutupu. Watching them do the ball stripping drills was, I mean, that was as much fun and as much competition as you could possibly, uh, you know, ask for. And that was going to be tougher than uh, – than a lot of Saturdays, uh, what, you know, a Troy Palomalu would, uh, would do to you if he was the guy that was going to strip the ball from you. And, uh, that's what they remember. Or I also remember Sean Cody talks about how lucky he was to go against Sam Baker every day. Cause the two of them would, you know, having watched the film of the, uh, opponent that Saturday, they would do to one another what the guy that they're going to be playing against 
um, like to do and, and playing him the way they like to play. And they, you know, the players were coaching one another and competing at the same time. That's where I think they've got to get, I think with this team, I think that's the next, next step up where, uh, and now that they've got enough players and they certainly have enough athletic talent, um, They've got to, I think, get get to that so that that's what they get coming out of practice every day, was, is a sense of uh, that they've really accomplished something in terms of competing with one another uh, to get better, competing with themselves, uh, so that they're ready to. You know, every Saturday, it's not about. I think maybe it's a little bit been too much about the other team, and this is one of the problems I think when you have head coaches that are all quarterbacks. Uh, is you tend to focus on the other team and what you have to do and, and whatever. And I think one of the other secrets of, of Pete Carroll's time was the focus was completely on USC. I mean, it was, here's what we're going to do, and we're going to do it so well, it doesn't matter what they do. And, and that was a big focus was uh, on USC, focusing on USC and being USC and doing what USC does and uh, not having to worry about what those other guys did. I think you saw that last year in the first Stanford game where USC came out and did what they wanted to do. Uh, and, and, and maybe we're the only time all year where you saw a USC team just totally uh, you know, get, get the job done in terms of physicality and uh, you know game plan and everything that they just, you know, went after Stanford in a way that I don't think we've seen before. And somehow that went away. I mean, the difference in that USC-Stanford game, and then within a couple of weeks, USC at Washington State, USC at Notre Dame, I know there were injuries and all that, but the approach just seems like it it, it went away. And I don't think it can go away. They, they've got to, you know, get to that the Stanford game that they played first game last year. Uh, I think that's got to be their goal week after week after week. And I don't know why it went away, but it, it did. You mentioned the uh, Stanford game. And I think we had a question about that last week, talking about playing Stanford early. Um, Peter and Fullerton wrote and said, Dan has repeatedly cited the scheduling of Stanford early in the 2018 season as further evidence of the ineptness of the Pac-12. Isn't there some benefit? to scheduling the tough games earlier in the season so that there's time to rebound in the polls. Further, with UCLA and Notre Dame rounding out our season, is it the current timing of the Stanford game preferable compared to having all the big games stacked up at the end of the season? Peter and Fullerton. Yeah, I think uh, when I talk about the Stanford game as, as a sign of ineptness, I'm talking about the Pac-12's ineptness because it hurts the Pac-12. I think USC ought to be able to make that Stanford game work for them. I think they did to some extent last year. I mean, it was the one thing you could hold on to and say, look, hey, you guys, you did it once. Uh, let's get back there. Uh, so, so, yeah, I think, you know, USC has better athletes than, than Stanford. And, and, you know, the, obviously Stanford's got one guy who's, uh, you know, spectacular in Bryce Love. But I think USC – ought to be, if they do it right, ought to be where they need to be to be more competitive than Stanford most of the time. Uh, 
for that early game. Again, it hurts the Pac-12 because one of your good teams uh, is going to have a loss, uh, and it's going to have a loss in the very first league game. You're already in a league that plays nine games, a nine-game league schedule that um, you know you don't do in the SEC. They're not having to worry about um, you know, and I guess uh, the ACC. They're not having to worry about uh, you know nine games, and the Pac-12 already are. And last year USC has to play Stanford twice, uh, whereas in the SEC, Alabama and Georgia play only you know, every decade or so. And that's only if they play in the championship game. Uh, so not a good move for the, the PAC 12, but it ought to be something that USC makes work, makes work for USC. Uh, and they did last year. They were, they were definitely ahead of, ahead of Stanford. And, uh, I think this year you gotta, you gotta go up there thinking, uh, we're going to, and I basically, I think, um, kept, Bryce Love relatively under uh, under control, and I think you've got to do that. I thought the the pass defense broke down toward the end in the uh, in the championship game, and it shouldn't have been shouldn't have been that close. And they gave up some some bombs and and plays where they weren't really under control in the secondary, and let Stanford make some big catches. But uh, but but yeah, I think I agree with you. I think USC ought to be able to use that game uh, in uh you know for its benefit uh if it's ready to go and and that that's the challenge obviously we've talked a lot about JT Daniels if JT Daniels is your quarterback uh and you're going into Stanford week 2 of his college career you know the whole world will be focused on this uh you know, freshman playing his second game uh that'll be uh, an interesting challenge i, I don't know that it it's something they can't do, but um, that's all everybody will be talking about if if it plays out like that. Yeah. So, uh, so we'll see. But again, you make that work for you, and you say, I mean, again, Georgia went into Notre Dame week one and won. They won with their defense. They didn't let Notre Dame score much, uh, and that's how I think USC wants to structure this thing. You go in there and you say, we're not going to let them, uh, you know, run the ball on us. That's simple. Yeah. They ought to, you know, that's got to be the focus. So make that work for you. But I think the key is you don't want your, you know, conference rival to be the opener in the conference. Like, yeah, it's good to play Georgia Notre Dame play. It's out of conference. And yes, it's not, you know, but that, you know, you could not only get dinged in the polls, but get dinged in the conference race. It just doesn't make a whole lot of sense for the conference to have those two teams play early. And you've got control of that. The conference has control of that. Uh, I, I say that theoretically. When you look at the Pac-12, you're not sure if they've got control of anything. Uh, but uh, they should. And that shouldn't, that shouldn't happen. And uh, it's dumb. And it's, uh, it handicaps the Pac-12. It's just like, for example, uh, I guess in the, the Heisman odds, three of the top six, which is like, wow, are from the Pac-12. Who, who thought, you know, I mean, it's, Pac-12 hasn't had a, much of a good Heisman run. Uh, Christian McCaffrey obviously should have won it. But uh, three of the top six. So you've got Bryce Love as number one, and then you've got tied for, I think there's a three-way tie, fourth, fifth, and sixth, but, and Khalil Tate and, and Justin Herbert, the Khalil Tate Arizona quarterback, Justin Herbert, the Oregon quarterback, are tied at, uh, at that fourth, fifth, sixth spot. And you think, 
those guys between them, those two, are going to play four of their September games on the Pac-12 network, and no one will see them play. No one. That's a hard way to win the Heisman, as Christian McCaffrey found out. If you play enough late games and enough Pac-12 network games, you're screwed. People will say, hey, I've heard the guy's pretty good, but who knows? Uh, So you can't have a conference that's handicapping itself. That's just about things the conference has control over. And uh, they, you know, it's the Pac-12, I guess. What do you expect? That's what they're going to do. I mean, it took them till last year before they figured out at the end of last year, not even at the beginning, that if you sent a team on the road one week and then made them go on the road a second week in a short week for a Friday game, every one of those teams lost. Whoa, they didn't know that. They didn't realize. I mean, <laughs> we have been arguing about that for like three or four years on the P. And Larry still... Scott, who makes over $4 million a year, literally admitted last year he didn't realize that. No one told him, he said. We didn't hear. We didn't know. It's like, what are you thinking? I mean, this isn't tennis. I mean, this is, you know, you're going to get worn down if you go two straight weekends on the road that's bad enough but then to make the second one uh, uh so usc to be honest they didn't deserve to be in the playoffs they might have been in the playoffs if they wouldn't have had to play you know washington state that friday night they might have been enough healthier the next day they'd have played an afternoon game or whatever uh that might have been enough to get them through and if they win that game they might be in the playoffs Again, what conference handicaps it's, you know, and by the end of the year, Larry was scrambling because he knew what the Pac-12 had done. He was trying to, you know, make the case for USC where the Pac-12 needed to make the case for USC was when they put the schedule together. And it's like nobody saw that. And we're like, we're all screaming how bad that schedule was. Nobody at the Pac-12 they say <laughs> had any idea. Yeah. Again, you know, they pay them. They get paid the most of any conference in America. Uh, they say they they do double duty because they also oversee the Pac-12 networks, which is by far the worst uh, network of its kind. And they do such a bad job of of you know putting their teams out there, uh, you know, nationally and their individual players. And it's really a shame, and it's not fair. It's just not fair if you're a Heisman candidate. It's not fair if you're in the Pac-12, probably, unless you're USC. I think what they made the what what the case is, and this is probably good for USC in a way. USC is probably is the only Pac-12 program who can overcome the Pac-12 and win a Heisman. If you're not at USC and you're in the Pac-12, you're not winning a Heisman. USC has the ability to overcome it. Nobody else does. Yeah, I mean, you know, Oregon had, you know, had won, uh, but that was basically a team that went to the national championship. You know, like you're talking something like that. Like you you need to be, you can't just be on a, a team that's got two losses and be in the Pac-12 and, and win. I don't th- I think you're right about that. Yeah. So. I, I, I mean, after McCaffrey, he so deserved to win the Heisman uh, that year. 
But, you know, they basically had him scheduled for late-night games the whole second half of the season. I mean, no, you know, nobody got to see him east of uh, Mississippi. Yeah. All right, uh, we got a text from Marcel in the San Gabriel Valley. He says, I'm watching the World Cup. Sorry about that, Marcel. Uh, I'm just kidding. I- I've actually watched some of it, too, even though I don't <laughs> like soccer. It's mostly just to make fun of it. But uh, And it seems yeah. that the field is in excellent shape. How are they able to maintain that, and it's possible for the Coliseum field to look like that? Um, so I guess he's not liking the way the Coliseum field looks. You probably don't like the way hey, it looks right I now. I don't think that's true, Marcel. I think the Coliseum field the last couple of years that since USC took over, they've got guys that are that are really dedicated to that field. No, I think the field, uh, the Coliseum field, the last two years has been has been really good, and uh, and that's with a with a Rams team on it. I know they uh, they changed it over once last year toward the end of the season uh, because of the Rams going to the playoffs and that. But uh, I think they do a good job. Uh, it'll be interesting now. They got the challenge this year uh, because of the Rams going to the playoffs last year. They got a three week late start in the renovation so they just buried the uh uh the field the turf they didn't have time to even take it up so they buried it with like 300 uh, truckloads of dirt that they needed to have a a base for all the construction work they were doing and um and 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 that's all pretty much been taken up and i think they're in the process right now of of getting to the point where uh first of july fourth of july anyway they're going to be uh, putting down the the new turf, and they're going to have, I think, six weeks to get that thing ready. And I think six weeks is plenty of time. Uh, they've got the Rams uh, moved back their um, uh, exhibition schedule two weeks, so they're going to play, I guess, their third and fourth exhibition games in the Coliseum. And then USC is going to open uh, on the 1st of September. But... Uh, but my prediction on the field is I'm, a, I'm optimistic about the field. I, I think they do a good job. I think they work at it really hard. It was, was difficult when the Coliseum people were in charge of the, of the field. That, was, that wasn't, uh, wasn't a, good, a good look. But I think, the, I think the last two years, the Coliseum field has been in the best shape that, that I can ever remember it uh, being in. Yeah, I agree. And I think with the World Cup, it's not all in one building they're they're all over the country in all these different cities so there's a lot of different venues i don't think they play more than like once a week in in some of these buildings so i'm no soccer expert but you're talking about the coliseum where you're playing like you know saturday night and sunday morning like yes i mean it's a whole different story but i like the way the field's been looking so yeah Uh, and i would say this with soccer uh they don't have to put any lines on it they don't get you know they're all over the the little guys they're all over the field, so there's not like any one one place. Maybe a little bit in front of the goal, but it's not like football. Uh, the wear and tear is 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 completely different. But I'll, I'll agree. The you look at those uh, whatever wherever it is the venues, and, and this is in Russia, uh, and you look at those venues and uh, and you think you know they they do get that grass looking pretty good uh, anywhere that you uh, you watch a soccer game. But uh, but again, it's a it's a whole different kind of wear and tear with a whole different kind of numbers and athletes and and uh the action is just completely uh completely different you don't have 300 pound guys lining up you know against one another head on head play after play after play after play uh where you do in in soccer the action is just all over the field from corner to corner and uh 
you know, you don't have hash marks and, and all that. So it's a, it's more of a challenge, but, uh, 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 I, I think they've met the challenge. I give USC high marks for, for how they've handled the Coliseum turf the last couple of years. All right, we got a couple more. We got Jason. He said, do you think that the four-team college football playoff was an attempt to render the Big 12 and Pac-12 meaningless and effectively create a Power 3? I mean, I don't think there's been a year where both the Big 12 and Pac-12 have been in the playoffs. Fight on from Jason. Well, I think they basically, you know, the people that did the BCS were the were the FCC people, and I just think uh, the programs that have been able to take advantage of it are the programs that have been able to take advantage of it, and their conferences haven't gotten in the way. Whereas, uh, I think you know, obviously, we've said about the Pac-12 has gotten in the way, uh, and you know, the FCC, give them credit, they figured out. I think at first in the BCS, they figured out how they'd always have a team with one of the two teams. That was the goal, the way they set up the BCS. And then, uh, then they figured out with the, with the four teams that you know, the, the move is to make sure they always have two teams. And they've been really good at that. But uh, one of the ways, for example, um, let's say if Alabama had played Georgia in the regular season last year, one of those two probably wouldn't have been there. So they solve that. They don't do what what the Pac-12 does. They, um, you know, they they solve some of those problems be, before they get there. So I think whether they're, you know, I, and I think they probably were a little conscious of, of USC. I think they've done a lot of things. I mean, that USC's 55-19 win over Oklahoma, I think solidified in a lot of the world of college football that something had to be done about USC or that was going to be very difficult for everybody else. If that USC team kept showing up in the championship game and they made it happen, obviously, as we know with the, uh, with what the NCAA did. But uh, uh, I think it's up to USC. For example, I think USC, if you look at USC, I guess is here, the number one recruiting class, in uh in the Pac twelve in the last what, eighteen, seventeen straight years. And has, you know, if you look at the five stars and four stars, there's no comparison between anybody else in the Pac twelve and USC. USC ought to, if they do it right, ought to be a fixture in the final four. Um they really should. I mean Washington made it and there are people like Phil Steele's magazine thinks that Washington will get through to the final four again this year. Well, that, that shouldn't be, that should be USC. USC does it right. They ought to be able to get through to the final four. And that's all you can ask is that you get a chance to, to be there. And, uh, if you really do the job in the PAC 12, if you're USC, you will be there to get there. You got a shot. So as much as I don't think the PAC 12 helps you, uh, USC ought to be able. I mean, if you got a team, uh, conference that was one and eight in bowls last year, USC ought to be able to dominate that conference. If you recruit the way USC does compared to the way the rest of the conference recruits, you ought to be able to dominate. If you've got the kind of history, heritage uh, that USC has against the rest of the Pac 12, you ought to be able to dominate. If you dominate the Pac 12, you do your job, 
you'll get to the four. You'll be one of the four. You get there, you got a shot. And uh, USC's got to do that. that. That's all. You just just take care of yourself, not worry about anything else, and, and get there. And uh, that's got to start happening. It does. Uh, I, I want to check when the last time USC didn't have the top-ranked recruiting class in the conference. It's been a long time. I um, saw the the year I saw was 2001. Somebody, and I don't know which class they're talking about, but I did see, I think John Wilner mentioned that once, that the last time was a, a 2001 class. But I, I, And it's hard to even imagine there was ever a time when USC didn't have the the number one recruiting class. You want to think, well, who could have possibly had the number one recruiting class? How does that even happen in the, in the Pac-12? But, uh, but I think that was, that was the year I saw that, that I think Wilner cited. Yeah, that would probably, back in the, yeah, that would probably make sense. Uh, I'll go back and back look and in see. the bed all days, I guess. Was that the, the changeover year maybe uh, from Hackett to uh, Carroll or, whatever yeah I think, it might have uh, been a year where where if it was carol's first year they probably didn't realize how good some of those players were that he got because usc wasn't on the top you know and you tend to get if you're one of the top teams and you're recruiting a kid he tends to get better uh you know uh rankings sure as a prospect and uh if you're not so so they might have even had that year uh the best class without people knowing it. Uh, I mean, they got Sean Cody, they got, uh, uh, all American punter, Tommy Malone. I'm trying to think who some of the guys were in that class, but, uh, that was a kind of a turnaround class was, was Leonard in that class. I think Leonard might've been in that class too. Yeah. Yeah. So they ended up, uh, had a pretty good class, uh, whether they were ranked uh, high enough or not at, at the time. All right, we got one last question. Uh, Nick in Cyprus, a.k.a. Big Nick 21 USC from the P. I know it's mid-June. I want to talk a little basketball to break up the same questions on JT Daniels, coaching staff, <laughs> etc. Can you give us your thoughts on Melton and Metu being drafted in the second round? Do you see any of them making key contributions to respective teams? Read the war room. Can't believe it's been that long since the Trojans – uh, Trojan has been drafted. Do you think the trend of Trojan players getting drafted every year or in the first round with players on the team and commits fight on from Nick? Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, when you look at what looks like it's lined up in the pipeline with the, uh, you know, the Mobley kids and, and their dad coaching and that's, I said, you ought to be able to do that in, uh, I mean, Los Angeles is, is the, you know, the hot, hot spot, uh, for high school recruiting, uh, you, you watch the NBA now and you watch, you know, Russell Westbrook and, and one after another of these guys, you know, who played uh, high school basketball here and realize there was a lot of talent that came through here. I mean, there was a kid, for example, the Mission Viejo kid, God, I can't even think of his name right now, who uh, was a first round draft pick. Uh, he went to Boise State because nobody in the Pac-12 even recruited him. Uh, that can't happen anymore. And I, I think what I'm seeing with the USC is they're not missing on those kids anymore. And there are a lot of those kids out there. And if you get them, uh, you're going to have a shot. And uh, so so I, I think you can get more uh, 
more a sense of that is going to keep happening. I mean, I'd, you'd like to see them now coached up a little more in terms of the, you know, the way they play defense and, the, you know, the system that they're going to run and the confidence in that system. I mean, I think, you know, Chemezi Metu, you know, 6'11 kid, jump out of the gym, nice, nice touch, um, uh, shot blocker, uh, kid who could dribble it and pass it. And yet he still didn't dominate games. I mean, that's, he was the, you know, the, the, the question mark. Where, where is he? Why doesn't somebody with that kind of, you know, skill set, and he was not a, not a kid who played basketball all his life and all that, but still, I think you got to get kids like that. And it hurt him, obviously, not to have uh, DeAnthony Melton, who was a player, who was a team guy, who was a tough guy, really understood the game. I think that's what he brings to an NF or NBA, you know, franchises. He's just one of those kids. He's at six three, big enough, tough enough, can shoot it well enough, jump well enough. I think he's a nice complimentary player. Is he a starter? I don't know. I think that's the that's the and you see kids like that all the time that make that take that next step when they get to the NBA. And he could be one of those kids. Is he, you know, dynamic? Uh, enough, uh, you know, skill set athletically. Uh, I, I like it that, you know, Chemezi's got a chance. It looks like, you know, I think he's San Antonio. And, um, and, and obviously you got a really good coach and a really good system. And they've been able to, you know, take guys like uh, Chemezi and, and use their skills and, and make them, uh, you know, real contributors. So I'll be interested to see how he works out because, you can't have a whole lot more, you know, skill set than the ability to, you know, pull up and hit the jump shot, the ability to dribble it, the ability to pass it, the ability to, you know, get way up in the air and block shots. But there were a lot of the basic skill sets, just post up moves and and ability to, you know, handle yourself under the basket where instead of getting pushed underneath the board, but, you know, still maintain your position and all that, that Chemezi just didn't seem to, have those and it'll be interesting to see if um if he develops those you know as a pro he's he's certainly he's certainly got the tools uh and that helps if you've got a couple of kids drafted uh it helps i think year after year where you can point to this kid came here he got drafted uh i mean DeAnthony gets drafted without even playing this year it's really a, a shame that he didn't get to play um for the reasons that he didn't get to get to play, but uh, USC can, you know, I think take credit for him as well. So it, it certainly helps set it up for USC going forward. Um, they're in a great place to recruit. Uh, and it just, I mean, you got two NBA franchises a mile and a half down the road. It doesn't get any better than that. Yeah. I mean, I still remember, you know, the OJ Mayo, uh, and Kevin Love days over at UCLA, and you know there'd be 25 NBA scouts virtually every game. Uh, so if you want to get seen and and you want them to know who you are, um, yeah, playing at USC gives you a heck of a shot. So so yeah, Big Nick, I think uh, they've got a chance, but they've always had a chance, and so far we haven't seen that play out yet. But who knows? <laughs> you gotta. You got to think it's there. Yeah. little hoops talk on the Peristyle podcast. We don't do that all that often. Um, but, yeah, so uh, 
couple dudes drafted. We'll see. USC seems to win these uh, the off season in basketball. They got to just win the season, and then we'll yeah. <laughs> probably spark a little yeah, bit. Yeah, you more hate. To, I mean, you hate to. Start, I mean, last year they start out at you know number ten, and you think, man, you know that's a good spot, and you can move up and all that, and and you end up moving down and just down. They were the highest ranked. Uh, they had the highest RPI in the history of the NCAA tournament, not to get selected for the NCAA tournament. I'm sorry. That's not the kind of distinction you want. You really don't want to be that team that everybody says, "Well, they they looked like they were really good, but man, didn't get it, didn't get picked." Yeah. All right. Well, that's going to wrap us up here uh, on the Peristyle Podcast. We're uh, yeah, we're having fun this week. Uh, might be the last week of summer workouts until they take a little break and then we'll be back again after the 4th of July. But we're actually moving, I'm moving into a new studio. So we're going to get the people together. So it should be a fun week around here. Um, we'll try to talk to Harvey. I tomorrow. I'm trying to move stuff tomorrow. So we're not sure. Maybe I'm going to move that around a little bit, but we'll get Harvey Hyde on. I think we need to do a recruiting podcast too. So, um, but it should be a fun week. Thanks you all for, uh, for listening. And Dan, thanks for uh, coming on. Enjoyed it, as always, and thanks for the questions, you guys. All right. Well, you take care. That's Dan Weber. Make sure you check out all his work on uscfootball.com. I'm your host, Ryan Abraham. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast, and we will talk to you next time. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices. Every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.